So, being generous with our gifts is our next in this series of living a generous life. Last week, Steve launched this series of talks based on Romans 12 and a call on us as followers of Jesus to be generous. The first one being generous to each other in church. I wasn't in for, this opening on the, for the, his opening on the series, but I know from the verses from Romans, and I did listen on the, is it podcast or whatever it is? When it came up, I was partway through preparation when I got to speak, speak with it and thought, oh, knowing that he'd probably stolen most of what I'm going to say today. But I know from the verses from Romans that he covered or should have covered talks about giving ourselves as living sacrifices, which could include our time and money. The word sacrifice means more than just giving what we can spare. If you think about it, just even if you don't go for a dictionary definition, it just conjures up a bit more than, here you are, here's 5p here, because that's as much as you're going to get out of me. Rather, it's a giving which represents a real cost to the giver. And the idea of sacrifice, or that word, might seem a bit weird to us now, but we know that in the Old Testament, God gave instructions to Moses about sacrifices. Leviticus is full of them. And I know this because I've just finished reading Leviticus. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Now, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he is going to offer out of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without defect before the Lord. In other words, the best. That challenged me when I read it, whenever I read Leviticus, because it's like, it's the best. I mentioned this verse because Many of the sacrifices had to be with defects. And in fact, I'll throw you a challenge. Go into the Old Testament and please find me somewhere where when the Israelites or God's chosen people were called upon and given instructions to sacrifice, where they were asked to give anything less than anything that was perfect. Because I don't think it's there. Think about it. I know it's the wrong time of year, but some of you might remember when the note comes back from school inviting the kids to bring things in for the school harvest festival, or in the olden days when you were asked to bring stuff in for church for the harvest festival, or nowadays when we invite people to bring stuff in for food bank, what do you send in, Kelvin, Helen? Kate, Thea. Come on. Who's given the tin of prunes that you thought you might eat, but did not, or chickpeas, which you thought, chickpeas? We opened the door there. Hel- <laughs> Kay's laughing. How many tins of chickpeas do we get given? Lots. Yeah. There are others who sorted out. You know, so who's given that tin of chickpeas that you must have bought and thought, that sounds really healthy, and there must be a recipe somewhere for doing something with chickpeas. 
And then when you have that little clear out or that response to the call from church on a Sunday morning, it's a serious invite. Bring food. Don't bring tins of chickpeas. We need personal toiletries, cleaning stuff, milk. Always need milk. But that tin of chickpeas that you thought would come in handy couldn't be bothered to use and were out of date anyway. Just add to it. Is that how we approach our giving? And I'm sure that after last week's challenge from Steve, we've all determined to give generously to each other. And maybe taken as an example that living sacrifice, giving of the best to each other, to church, not to shortchange each other, but to be those living sacrifices in our everyday worship of God. And Steve also shared that the series ends on Palm Sunday. How many weeks is that, Steve? Three, three more weeks? When all of us here, visitors, you can take a back seat on this one, uh, will not have one but two invitations. The first is to commit to some area of service, which Steve's already touched on, within the church. And the second is to give financially towards the next phase of refurb in this place. I'm not sure I've ever, ever given anybody a round of applause in his absence, but Carlo and his builders, mate, I think have done a great job with Steve. <laughs> Notice the carpet. So this, this is the fin, isn't it? Are we, are we getting pictures on the wall, Steve, or? No? <laughs> Probably got some at home. I've got one of Brendan Foster neatly framed that we could stick in there. That's not a very good example of giving generously and giving the best, is it? <laughs> so right, so if that was the start of the series, what's in store for us this week? Well, what's in store is being generous with our gifts. We're going to have a look at Romans 12, when I find it. Just a couple of verses, so you think we'll be finished by quarter to 12, but you'll be wrong. <laughs> So Romans 12, verses 6 to 8 says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So Paul mentions seven different gifts in the course of these three verses. Hopefully the little slide comes up with them all on. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing, Leadership, shown mercy. So the question is, what's your gift? And I guess it's at this stage where when I scan the room, eyes have gone down into the laps, some have nodded off already, and they're thinking, please, Ken, don't ask me what my gift is. Because you can't think for a minute that I'm gifted in anything. 
Or at least that's what I do when people like me stand up front and say, what's your gift? So let's take a look at verse 6. And really I could do a very short talk because there's probably two things I want you to remember. And it's out of uh, probably this verse. The New International Version says this at verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Now, when I read that, I thought, that's pretty specific. It's pretty direct. There's not a great deal of room for discussion. And I thought, that can't really be what the original version said, because it must have left it a bit, you know, not all of us here can be gifted, can we? Or can you? I even looked at some other Bible translations thinking maybe they'll show that the original text did give us some of that leeway. But they didn't, unless you can find one that does. The King James Bible says, having then gifts. The New American Standard Bible says, since we have gifts. Yep. And if you remember that, ignore some of the rest of what I'm going to say. <laughs> and the message, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be. So it can't be a case of, but I don't know what my gifts are, or I've not received any from the Holy Spirit yet, and I've been seeking them for years, but it's still not happened. I still can't talk in tongues. I don't do the prophecy bit. I don't get words of knowledge. That's not what we're talking about here. And the other thing, the second thing that I want you to remember from this morning, that it shouldn't escape our notice when we read that passage or those verses, is the phrase, let him. Now, let him... Paul mentions seven gifts and he uses let him seven times. So not only do we say that we all have gifts, which might be different to the gifts that each of us have, there's also the instruction to use them. I haven't got time, but have a look later on at Matthew 25 verses 14, one of the parables of Jesus who speaks on this, the parable of the sometimes called the talent, which is, I've, I've always found it a bit of a difficult parable to get, get my head round because I'm a sort of conservative with a small c guy, you know, if somebody gives me something to look after, I'm probably the one that probably buried what I was given to wait for them to come back, but the whole emphasis of that parable is use what you're given to bless and help grow and encourage others. Now each of us has different gifts and if we do not share them with others then in some way we are likely to deny others in the body of Christ because Paul's talking here primarily to the church the body of, body of Christ, and each of us being part of it. Remember Steve's passage last week at verse 5, 
So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So if we're part of this thing called church and we all have these gifts, if we don't share them, if we don't use them, words that come to my mind are things like, you selfish thing, Pete, keeping all of that to yourself, you know, not sharing what we've been given or gifted with. So let's have a, uh, a bit of a race through the different gifts that are mentioned here. And probably the first prophesying is out of all of these is probably the only one that some, some of us might say, well, actually, that's more of a spiritual gift, isn't it? And yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. Not everybody is going to be gifted through the Spirit uh, to prophesy. If anyone wants to know more about prophecy, there's a great little vineyard, uh, not even a series, you know, it's enough for a connect group to get, get hold of the materials. Steve will tell you where, where it is. I think it used to be in Dropbox, Steve. But it's a great probably two, three session look at prophecy. Because it can be a little bit intimidating. And have we got anybody here that believes they've been gifted with a gift of prophecy? Yep, Brian. But when I did within one of our small groups that series of, you know, even Ken Willis found that when I sat quiet long enough and I called on God and the Holy Spirit to help us, I was actually given, surprise the pants off me, <laughs> when I was given a word about somebody else in the group that actually spoke to them. So it's not beyond many of us uh, to seek that gift. Something we can be sure of, not to go through the whole teaching on it, is if you've been given a word from God for an individual or the church, it will be for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. It won't be a word from Ken which destroys or damages somebody. Because you, know, you can guarantee if it's a word that's going to do that, then it's not not from God, not of the Spirit. What about serving? There's probably no limit other than our imaginations or my imagination as to what might be included under that heading of serving. So who's been here, who's, who here has been on holiday somewhere when you've come back and thought, or you've been there and you've been enjoying good service and you've thought, why on earth don't we do that back home in England? Anybody? Come on, play, play with us. Come on. Come on, who's, who's been away? And either when you've been away or when you come back, you know, you've oh, yeah, I had a great time. The service was incredible. Not anything like here. So why, why is that? Hey, why is that? Is it too easy to say that it's a cultural thing or what? And here, going to bring us back to church and specifically Central Vineyard, do we want people to say that about this part of the body of Christ? Do they want to come here and say, you know what, I went to a church in America once and the service was far better than ever it was at Central Vineyard. 
you know, they welcomed us in the car park. They'd even got those golf buggies that you could get a ride on. And, you know, and we went, Anne and I, we visited one in, uh, was it Arizona somewhere, Phoenix, Arizona, out in the, and somebody was assigned to us, and we got taken in for the meal afterwards, and it's like, woo! Don't do anything like that in Central Vineyard, do we? So do we really want people to come here and think the service was rubbish, nobody cared, the toilets were grim? So what do you think about the standard of service? Because you know, the bit that I can't answer is we might groan and moan about service, but it's, I don't mean in church, I mean generally, but it's people like us that do or don't deliver that, that service. So are we missing out on what you could do by way of serving? If we needed an example of serving, we don't need to go any further than that Sunday school answer of... Gee, well done, Nicky. <laughs> the rest of you are really slow. In Philippians, we, we read this from chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition of vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude or our attitude should be the same, of the same as that of Christ Jesus. Yet when I hear that Jesus is the example of serving, does that not make serving impossible for me because I just can't attain what Jesus did. Well, no, Jesus is the ultimate example, but if he did it, this is what I want you to think about this morning, if he did it as our Savior and Lord, then surely the least that we can do is use what we've been gifted with. Teaching. Now, this isn't a request, hey, I'm done with VK. Somebody replace me because I'm really old hat. I'm not. So it's not just a call to teach in VK. The important thing I want you to dwell on is, do you have a gift of teaching? And if you do, how might you use it to help others? Paul here in Romans is talking specifically about using our gifts to build up the body of Christ, that is church. But I don't think we should restrict ourselves by just thinking about the gifts in that way because we have a whole town, we have communities to serve, we have families to serve in uh, as well. So we have to share our gifts across the town, across the communities where we live. So have you considered, are you a teacher? Some years ago, a colleague of mine, he was a really good squash player, really good, county standard, and he said, uh, pre their season, anybody used to play squash? Apparently it's making a bit of a resurgence. Yeah, Brian, can't even remember that, I think they have a season. But anyway, he said, Ken, I want to build up some endurance strength for my squash playing. And he knew I did a little bit of running. He said, you know, could you, could you help us? I said, yeah, 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 I'll, 
I said, tell you what, I'll take you out for a run. I said, if you teach me how to play squash. And that was the, the deal, so off we go. Uh, and I didn't, I did not <laughs> murder him on the run. I let him set the pace and we can't even remember how far we did, but I thought I did a good job. You know, of coaching, teaching, you know, just trying to get him out and put some miles in to build up the cardiovascular system and all of that. And then it was his turn to teach me squash. I knew nothing about, I knew you played with a racket and a little ditty ball. So he took us to the squash court. So the first thing he told us about the rules, and I can't remember any of the rules from what he told us, all I can remember him saying was, Ken, right, you've got to dominate the T. Is that right, Brian? Yep. Front of the, not the front of the court, because that's the wall, but the bit where you stand with your bat or your racket and dominate the T. And he said, right, you ready? Yeah? And off we went, and I got slaughtered. I knew where I wanted to put the ball, but I couldn't really pull it off. I was trying to dominate the tee. I was a grease spot because he was dinking them down here and dropping them short there. And, and it was a lesson in how good a squash player he was, but it wasn't a very good teaching lesson. And guess what? I don't think I've ever played squash again. <laughs> I use that as an example because... We might not all be cut out to be teachers. You know, some people can be brilliant at computers, but absolutely rubbish at showing somebody else how to use them. And I do want to take a point here, not embarrassing people or getting them to stand up. But I know that we've got some teachers in here. And I hope, or I guess, that most of them went into teaching because the thought that's something I want to do, and they're actually gifted to it. And I really want to say thanks for those that have done that in a very formal, professional sense. Uh, want to bless them. And do share maybe your frustration of, wouldn't it be great, I know from chatting with some of you, wouldn't it be great that you were allowed more time to teach than some of the other superfluous stuff that almost becomes a, a major part of the job. So just to recognize, you know, what a great job our teachers do. But in teaching under this heading, you know, it might be not leading a connect group, but taking a turn in a connect group to maybe stretch out a bit and lead a Bible study or get into sharing. It might be teaching something completely different might be that you've got a heart for sharing or teaching people how to read or speak English. You know, we're surrounded in our town. Uh, where was it yesterday, Anne? Oh, we were dog walking just down by West Hunsby, near where we live. A couple of guys come along and guess what? And I won't, this isn't a complaint saying everybody doesn't speak English. But there's loads of people out who would love the opportunity to get alongside some of the people here and help improve their conversational English. So it might be teaching. There's one example on some of the material that Steve invited us to have a look at before we get up to speak. 
somebody who had a real passion for making cocktails. You know what? I might think that's the dullest, most boring thing, but there might be others here who think that'd be really cool. You know, learn how to make cocktails. You know, it'd be really something that gets a few people together. So it could be anything. Have you been called? Have you got that gift of being a teacher? Encouraging. So what's that look like? We probably know what it doesn't look like. Somebody who always finds something to be critical of, who is waiting for you to make a mistake and then go, she got that wrong, or give me that here, I might as well do it myself, if a job's worth doing, I might as well do it myself, and so on. That's not encouraging, Ken. And if we think of examples of encouragers in the Bible, anybody, anybody with us still? Timothy? Yeah, wasn't the one I was thinking of, Theo, but Barnabas. The Barnabas, his real name was Joseph, if you begin to look at the character of Barnabas. But he was called Barnabas, which means encourager. What did Barnabas do? He got alongside an early convert called Paul. And Paul wasn't... He was judged with a lot of suspicion early on in his ministry, Paul. Not surprisingly, because he was there at the first Christian martyrdom event when Stephen was stoned. So imagine the scene. If a couple of years after that event... This crowd here who'd witnessed it said, oh, there's a guy called Paul who wants to come and speak to you, wants to come and work, work amongst you. You might have just been a little bit skeptical or nervous or doubting as to his credentials. Barnabas got alongside Paul for some time and was able to introduce him to the church leaders in Jerusalem. It was Barnabas that chose John Mark to go on mission when Paul had said, there's no way is he coming with me because he let us down last time. Think away from the Bible story. Anybody had occasion or instances of that in their work and life, school life, college life, where somebody's written you off because you made a mistake, didn't get something right, or you made a, made a bad choice. But Barnabas gave him a second chance and walked with him. That's being an encourager. And this was in 40 Acts this week. If you haven't signed up, I think you can still sign up to 40 Acts for Lent. But it said this, Our words have power. A gentle word can heal. A harsh word can destroy. A joke can stick for a lifetime. Words have the power to change how people feel about themselves, their view of the world and outlook on life. So have you got the potential to be an encourager? And who might you get alongside today? Contributing to others, to Corinthians, Paul commends the churches in Macedonia. Again, I won't read the reading, but 
not the wealthiest church by any stretch of the imagination, but they did what they could to support the early church elsewhere. And Paul said this, out of their extreme poverty, they gave rich and generously. In Romans, the Greek is translated into let him give generously. The literal translation is, and I love this, because it probably speaks to me, don't give skimpily. And I won't mention the finances of the church. Steve did that last week. What about leadership? And leadership can take many and varied, varied forms as well. So think wider than, oh yeah, but I couldn't do what Steve does. I'm not called to be a church leader or anything like that. But you might have been. I mean, we've been uh, committed to this church for about seven or eight years now. And we're still waiting for somebody here to be sent out to plant another one. So somebody here could be that church planter, the first one from Central Vineyard. I don't think there's... Has anybody been sent out, Steve? Not yet. Or you could lead a connect group. Or you could lead an area of work inside the church or outside of the church. Or put yourself forward as a trustee of the church. Paul says, if it is leadership, let him govern diligently. Or the literal translation, not lazily or wholeheartedly. So I'm not looking to put people off. But not lazily or a half-hearted leader. Have any of you ever tried to follow a half-hearted leader? Yeah, occasionally at work. Imagine if Steve, a few months ago, had come before us and said this. I've got this really average idea. I think that God's given me. But I'm not really sure... It's to have a look at a place in the town centre that we might have as much chance of getting as pigs might fly. What do you think our response might have been if that leader had come before us 12, 18 months ago? We probably wouldn't be here because most of us... You're right, Steve, I think the idea stinks. And finally, showing mercy... Now, if you were on the ball, you would all be shouting, but aren't we all supposed to show mercy? To which I say yes, simply because that's what Jesus did, and that's what we're told to do is, uh, if we're trying to follow Jesus. But what Paul's saying here is that some of us have a gifting, you know, so a handsome in showing mercy. Being blunt to some of us, it might be really hard to show compassion to forgive others or look beyond behaviours you find obnoxious, unsettling, or distasteful. But some have a real gift, and one lady here came to mind, because through her work, she's probably got more excuses and could explain away more reasons why she'd be hard-hearted, hard-headed in dealing with some of the people that we're called to deal with. She's not, 
She's got a heart for the disadvantaged, for the marginalized, the poor, and tries to do something about it. And, as Paul calls us to here, she does it cheerfully, because I don't think I've ever seen her not smiling when she's doing some of that stuff. So, what gift have you got? Not which ones would you like, but what have you got? What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing that will serve to build up this part of the body of Christ, Central Vineyard? And remember what I said right at the outset. It's not a case, Ken, you don't understand. I'm, I'm rubbish. I've got... I mean, me. Let me talk about me. I can't... You see the band this morning, the trumpet? I've always wanted to belong to a church that's got a... Was it a trumpet? And then he picked up a guitar. He played a guitar. I mean, me, I can't do any of that. Can't even read music. So we could all adopt that Ken attitude of, yeah, but I'm really average, less than average in fact. I haven't got any gifts. Nonsense. We know it's nonsense because God's word tells us we have gifts. And it commands us to let him, let us use them. So as the message says, go ahead and be what you were made to be for everyone else here. Amen.